Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 5, verses 12 through 26. And I'll read verses 18 through 20 for us now, as we prepare to hear from lead pastor Travis Simone, as he helps us continue in our sermon series titled, Restored Lives. And behold, Some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. This time of year, I always feel like I'm on the outside looking in. You see, I went to the College of William and Mary, and the College of William and Mary is one of four original Division I basketball teams to have never made the March Madness Tournament. I always feel like I'm on the outside looking in. And this Thursday, we were gathered at lunch as a staff. We were taking in some of the basketball, which turned out not so well for two staff members that went to the University of Virginia. And this graphic flashed on screen about Furman. So about the last time Furman had made the NCAA tournament, they were making such a big deal. They said it was 43 years ago. The year was 1980. Jimmy Carter was president. Gas was $1.19 a gallon. The number one song, a crazy little thing called Love by Queen. So I started to imagine if if William and Mary ever did make the tournament, what might our graphic on screen look like? The year was 1693. (laughs) Jimmy Carter wasn't president. Louis XIV was king of France. Gas is 186 years away from being invented. Queen, uh, how about John Locke's Some Thoughts on Education was popular, and the pendulum clock was all the rage. This time of year, I always feel like I'm on the outside looking in. But what is true about me when it comes to March Madness, I believe is true about life for everyone. Maybe you feel like you're on the outside looking in when it comes to a happy marriage. Maybe you feel like you're on the outside looking in when you think about a satisfied single life, fulfillment at work, your relationship with your kids. Maybe you feel like on the outside looking in on financial security. I love that our middle school and high school students are are joining us in worship now, that we've moved to that discipleship model. So I always wanna make sure that I'm thinking through their needs and their questions as well. Maybe you feel like you're on the outside looking in when it comes to what your body looks like. 42-year-old men have that concern as well. Maybe you feel like you're on the outside looking in when it comes to making the right team, having the right friends. 
Rich talked about our student ministry retreat last week. They talked about the theme of identity, four identity traps, performance, achievement, shame, and blame. Maybe you feel like you're on the outside looking in when it comes to your performance, what you're achieving. The shame you feel like you just can't shake. I have good news this morning from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. Wherever you feel like you are on the outside looking in, Jesus restores lives to community. We've been looking at Jesus restoring lives physically, Jesus restoring lives spiritually, Jesus restoring our identity. And today we are gonna see that Jesus restores lives to community. He brings people from the outside and moves them in verse 12, Luke 5. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The tension of this scene is heightened with the opening line. The very first line is quite important to feel the emotion of the story. While he, that's Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. You see, lepers were forbidden by regulations of the Torah, regulations of the five books of Moses, regulations from God's word. They were forbidden from entering a city. They had to stay outside the camp. Look at some of the regulations around lepers that are found in Leviticus chapter 13. This is verses 45 and 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Lepers were marked, were marked visibly. That's the torn clothes. Lepers were marked physically. That's the unkempt hair. Lepers were marked audibly. That's the, he has to shout out, unclean, unclean. Lepers were marked socially. They had to live alone. Lepers were marked geographically. They couldn't enter cities. They had to live outside the camp. The great Jewish historian, a man named Josephus, wrote about first century culture. He wrote this, lepers are in no way different than a corpse. This man is on the outside looking in. And when Jesus enters the city, the place, he's not allowed to go. He breaks through. Uh, imagine the sweat on his brow. Imagine his heart beating so fast as he slips through, wondering, is anyone gonna notice my torn clothes? Is anyone gonna notice my unkempt hair? 
He's certainly not crying out unclean, unclean. He's lived alone. He's dwelt outside the camp. Oh, this is what it's like. He has no idea where he's going. He's just heard there's this man named Jesus Christ who has the power to heal. This man is on the outside looking in. And notice, what does he do when he finally sees Jesus? He falls on his face. And I pondered that move that he makes. Why? Why does he fall on his face? I think he's still hiding. He still feels like an outsider. He's made it this far. He's not gonna blow it now by just standing there in front of Jesus and having someone, someone see his ratty hair and his torn clothes. He gets as low as he can. And he begs. Notice he doesn't even ask Jesus a question. He's too timid to even make a request. He simply says, if you will, you can. If you will, Jesus, I'm I'm here. If you will, I, I won't stand in your way. I'm just here on my face begging. Now, there's some tension there. Jesus in a city with a leper. And the next verse ratchets up the tension even further. Look at verse 13 with me. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now imagine what the disciples are thinking as Jesus' hand goes out. You heard the regulations from the book of Leviticus. They're not, they have to live alone. They're not even allowed in the city, let alone be touched by anyone. And so imagine Jesus' disciples, and this is the scene, by the way, that comes on the heels of what Rich preached last week. They have just left everything to follow Jesus. They had a catch of fish that would have brought wealth to their households that they had never had before. And they left that behind. Uncounted numbers of fish, they left it behind to follow this guy. And all of a sudden, his arm is moving toward a leper. And I can just see them going, no, 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 no. Jesus is gonna get leprosy, he's gonna infect us, we're gonna be the ones on the outside of the camp, and we just left the pile of fish sitting there. What have we done? It's like a slow motion movie scene. No. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. You see, the man who was on the outside looking in has now been touched. The man who was on the outside looking in has now been cleansed. 
The man who's never been in a city before has been sent to the greatest city. He's been sent to Jerusalem, who is not allowed to enter buildings, has now been called into the greatest building, the temple. The man who's been separated from community is allowed to speak, not allowed, is called to speak to the final authority on life in the community, the priests, who will confirm his restored place in the community. Let me ask you again, where are you on the outside looking in? Wherever you are on the outside looking in, Jesus restores lives to community. And the story gets better from there. Jesus restores lives to the ultimate community. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea, from Jerusalem and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was on him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. As I read this second story, you might take note that this man, the paralyzed man, he has community. He's surrounded by it. His friends care enough to carry him. His friends are so completely committed to his well-being that they dig a hole through a roof. They strain their backs. They tear the flesh on their rope-burned palms during this semi-controlled descent toward Jesus Christ. I recently saw uh, an artistic portrayal of this scene. I searched for the picture, but I couldn't find it. But let me just describe it to you. This portrayal of this scene, it was a hole in the roof and all you could see were four arms. That was all you could see, just four arms coming down through the roof. It was a beautiful picture of a community that had surrounded a man in need. And Luke, skilled writer that he is, purposely records these stories back to back in order to set the reader up for a twist that reveals our deepest need for restoration. You see, the second story is a beautiful picture of someone who already has a restored community. The leper, no community. This man, community surrounding him, sacrificing for him. What this man clearly needs is a restored body. He's paralyzed. And so Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven you. It's like a great crescendo in a symphony 
that ends with clanging cymbals. Jesus looks at a man with staggering physical needs and in effect says, your physical problem is not your greatest problem. Jesus looks at a man with a wealth of human community and says, there is a community you know not of. When I do funeral services, I often start the service of the person placed their faith in Jesus Christ with words from Job chapter 19, verse 25. Job cries out, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him, I and not another. Oh, how my heart yearns within me. I share those verses because people have often been praying for healing for the person who has passed away. And and I share those verses to say, the healing is assured. I know my Redeemer lives. In the end, he will stand upon the earth. And notice this, after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I shall see God. It's a beautiful picture of what happens when we die. The healing is assured. And you see, Jesus is looking at this man in great need of healing. And that passage of, from Job uh, it indicates another great truth, which is all are resurrected. Those who have their faith in Jesus Christ are resurrected to eternal life. Those who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ are resurrected to eternal separation from Jesus Christ. And so Jesus knows that healing is not this man's greatest need. There is a community he knows not of. There is a separation he is currently experiencing. During our marriage series, we looked at what happened when Adam and Eve pursued life on their own terms. Two things happen initially. First, they realize they are naked, so they cover themselves. This is a picture of severed human community. Second, they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid themselves. This is severed heavenly community. They're separated from each other. They're separated from God. It's a great picture of what sin does. Sin separates. Think of a, a time when you were lost in sin. Did it ever help you feel closer to your friends? When you've been pursuing life on your own terms, did it ever help you feel closer to your spouse? Did it ever improve your relationship with your parents? What do you think that same sin does to your relationship with God? Ultimately, Adam and Eve, the the first married couple, 
They are then exiled from the garden. They are pushed out. The poetic phrase in the scripture is they live east of Eden. And this is now the destiny of every man, woman, and child. We too are born in such a way that we live east of Eden. This is why you experience life the way you experience it. This is why your house never feels quite good enough. This is why your job never feels quite fulfilling enough. This is why your relationships never feel quite satisfying enough. You live in exile. I live in exile. We all live east of Eden. We are not in the place we were meant to be. Sin separates. Sin revokes our access to community. And when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, Jesus restores our access to the ultimate community. Let me give you the translation of that passage uh, from the New International Version and the J.B. Phillips translation. They catch a, a nuance in the Greek that the ESV translation misses. The New International Version, Luke 5.20 reads this, friends, excuse me, friend, singular, friend, your sins are forgiven. J.B. Phillips takes it a step further. I love how he just personalizes it. My friend, your sins are forgiven. This is relational language that Jesus uses to address the paralyzed man. And if you read the, the same story in the Gospel of Mark uh, chapter two, you'll see theological language. Mark wants us to understand the theological meaning of this. In Mark 2, 5, Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Luke highlights the relationship and Mark highlights the adoption that when this man when he has his sins forgiven, he is adopted into the family of God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is restored to the ultimate community. He is now a son of the most high God. And now look at this, verse 21. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but, but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Jesus restores lives to the ultimate community, the community that has existed for all eternity past, the community of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and this man is now a child in that family. I tried to make the idea for our Lenten series as simple as possible. 
Jesus restores lives. And in that simplicity, I, I hope there is hidden a truth that we have to all chew on for a long time because we so often miss it in the way we lead our lives. If Jesus is the one who restores lives, what is implied there? We cannot restore our own lives. We are not able to do it. The leprous man was not able to heal his leprosy. The paralyzed man was not able to forgive his own sins or to get up from his mat. Jesus is the one who restores lives. I had a great high school English teacher, like really great. His name was Bruce Cowdery, and he got young high school kids to like Shakespeare, believe it or not. I have such great memories uh, from that class. Some of those concepts still stick with me today. And we were going through Macbeth, and he talked about Macbeth, this, this story of guilt unatoned for. Guilt that Macbeth and his wife, Lady Macbeth, could not shake. See, Macbeth receives a prophecy that he will be king. And, and so he goes and takes matters into his own hands. He says, well, if I'm gonna be king, I, I might as well get it done soon. And he murders the king and takes his place. And then immediately the kingdom starts falling apart. He has all these regrets. He doesn't know what to do with his guilt. He tries to shake it and he cannot. And in a, in a great crescendo of his madness, he says this, will all great Neptune's oceans wash this blood from my hand? No. This my hand will rather, the multitudinous scenes incarnadine. My hands could dye the ocean, he says, making the green one red. Can you relate to Macbeth? No matter what you've tried, you cannot restore your own life. No matter what you tried, you cannot forgive your own sin. Wherever it is that you are on the outside looking in, Wherever you need to be restored to community, human and heavenly, human and the ultimate community, here's what I think this story calls us to do. Do whatever it takes to lie down before Jesus. Whatever you have to do, lie down before Jesus. Look at verses 12 and verse 18. Verse 12 while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him. In verse 18, behold, some were bringing, some men were bringing on a, on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. They wanted to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Maybe you need to release whatever it is, whatever is keeping you from Jesus. Maybe you need to sit still long enough to listen to what Jesus is calling you to do, 
to pray hard enough to have the courage to act. Maybe you need to take time if you've never placed your faith in Jesus before. Maybe you need to take the time to work through your questions. In verse 26, we read that the people said, we've seen extraordinary things. Uh, The Greek word there is related to our English word for paradox. We have seen paradoxos things. The King James translates it quite well. People say, we've seen strange things today. We don't understand what it is that we've seen. And you need to lay at Jesus' feet and take the time to ask your questions, have them answered. Maybe lying at Jesus' feet is to just place your ultimate trust in Jesus. Note that this is what Jesus calls faith. That when the four men get this paralyzed man to Jesus' feet, Jesus looks at their faith and says, son, friend, my friend, your sins are forgiven. To place your faith in Jesus is to do whatever it takes to lie down before him. One final detail in the story. If you look at verse 16, Jesus withdraws to desolate places to pray. Why does he do this? You see, Jesus lost community so that we might be restored to the ultimate community. There's a scene in the movie, The Motorcycle Diaries, that makes me cry every time I watch it. Motorcycle Diaries is about two men that are two friends. They're they're just um, taking a road trip across South America to learn about the culture. One of their stops is at a a group of doctors that minister to lepers. The doctors have their offices on one side of the river and there's a leper colony on the other side of the river and the doctors take boats over to the leper colony and with all kinds of precautions try to care for the lepers. Uh, the two men have been quite helpful to the doctors, and so they, they become integrated with the community. And one evening, they're celebrating one of the young men's birthday. And everyone's singing, and there's a cake, and there's candles. And a man named Ernesto walks out of the party. And he stares across the river, he see, the river and, and he, he sees the glimmering light of the leper colony. His friend follows him out. He says, come back to your party. He says, no, I'm going to celebrate my birthday on the other side tonight. And he jumps in the river and starts swimming. His friend, furious, says, those are piranha-infested waters. Get out of there. And he starts swimming, and the doctors come out, and they shout, you'll never make it. Stop. Turn back. This is too dangerous. He gets about halfway across and the lepers notice a disturbance in the river. One of the lepers comes out and says, is that Ernesto? Another one says, it's Ernesto. He's swimming toward us. The doctors say, come back. The lepers start shouting, go Ernesto, go, come on. You can make it. The doctors shout with grave concern, 
The lepers cheer with wild abandon. Eventually, he gets about 15 yards from the leper colony. He's about to drown. And one of the lepers jumps in, brings him to shore. See, Jesus Christ left the ultimate celebration, the celebration of the glory of the Father. He crossed the ultimate chasm, not a river. He crossed the chasm between heaven and earth, divinity and humanity. He did not merely take a chance with his life to spend an evening at a leper colony. He gave his life to spend eternity with restored lepers and forgiven paralytics. Where else would you rather lie down? He's coming toward us. He came toward us. He's coming toward you right now. Where else will you place your faith? Jesus restores lives to community. And Jesus restores lives to the ultimate community. That is communion with him. Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are excited to help you connect to Christ and his community. Have a blessed day. Thank you.